My friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scripture and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. It was 1933, as I recall. And a politician talked about the blessings of the Almighty and the Christian confessions, which would become the, the pillar of this new government. And he assumed the earnestness of a man weighed down by historical responsibility. He told his story to the press, but especially to the churches in the church papers. I mean, this guy, he carried around a tattered Bible and declared that he drew strength for his great work from this. And as a result, scores of Christ followers supported him as a man set from God. Surely, this is a man that God has sent for these days. He sure could use another guy like that, you know. Adolf Hitler. Not the description you were expecting of this man. But I want to tell you, friends, he sure knew how to play the part, as all politicians do. <laughs> Hear me when I say this, my friends, that anyone can talk a good game. You can learn the lingo of the church. You can sing the songs. And you can even do good work, but hear me when I say this. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, Jesus, on that day, many will come to him. This is Jesus speaking. He says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I mean, we cast out demons in your name and, and we did mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And this is the issue that Jesus addresses here in Matthew chapter 6. I know you're like, whoa, pastor came out big on this one. <laughs> Hear me. This is a warning for all of us here today. When we study the word, my friends and we look at it carefully, we ought to make sure that we look to find ourselves here. Is there sin to confess, a promise to claim, an example to follow, commands to obey? Is there knowledge about God that I need to pay a special attention to? You see what's going on here in this Sermon on the Mount Again, found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the subject of this sermon is righteousness. And the word righteousness is right there in the root. What is right in the sight of God? Right, is it consistent with the word of God? Is this how God has called us to live? Now, you may recall last week when we began this study, Jesus contrasted himself with the Pharisees' teaching. You have heard it said, but I say to you those familiar words. 
But here in chapter 6, Jesus is going to contrast what is right with the practice of the religious leaders. Those of whom Jesus spoke, on that day you will say to me, but I will say to you, and he casted them out. So, verse 1, Jesus begins this part of his exposition, my friends, with a caution. A big time, hey, be careful here. Don't miss this. And this caution is this. Each time you choose to obey God, you choose an audience. You choose God to witness that you live out this life out of love for him. Or you choose the people around you. Look at me looking for the applause of men. Beware, Jesus says, verse 1, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. My friends, it is the look at me syndrome. I mean, when you were a kid, mom, 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 look at me, look at me, watch this, watch what I can do. One more time. And that's all right for kids. They're discovering new things about themselves. And they're just as amazed as they hope mom is about this newfound ability. This is worse than that. The whole purpose for going to the temple, for standing at the corner and praying, for giving to the needy, all of these things were only motivated by the hopes that someone else would see and say, wow, look at that guy. I guess I don't have to talk about that much more because you know exactly what I'm You see, my friends, you can practice what is right for the motivation of love for God or for the approval of men. And you will notice the righteousness of the Pharisee was insincere and dishonest. They practiced their religion for the applause, not for the reward of God. But true righteousness must come from within. And its goal is the honor of God. I mean, uh, you start the Lord's Prayer, which is our model prayer, or primer. He's going to talk about it in just a minute. But it starts like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Honored be your name. We want to honor your name and the things that we are about to talk about in this prayer. Hmm. So you can practice righteousness for the applause of man or for the reward of God. And look at here. Jesus continues. He says, for then, if you're practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, Jesus says, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Oddly enough, I preached this uh, 
part of this, this passage here four years ago. And on our website, it is the most listened to sermon. I mean, it was like four years ago. And I guarantee you someone is listening to it probably even now. I don't know why something about this passage just gets to the heart. And so there's your choice, my friend. You can do it for man or you can do it for God, but you can't do it for both. What is the motivation of your heart as you practice your faith? So Jesus gives some illustrations here. He focuses on three acts of righteousness that illustrate this very, very accusation that he has for these Pharisees. And you'll notice the first in verse 2 is giving to others. And what Jesus says is you need to give sincerely. But look at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Wow, what a man. They literally blew trumpets. Now, there was a practical aspect to this, as often practices start with uh, honesty and integrity. But they literally blew trumpets so that the needy could come to them and they could provide for them. As opposed to, are you needy? Are you needy? Are you needy? Who's needy out there? Well, then it became going to the prime places where the crowds were. And they literally blew their own trumpets, my friend. You wonder where that expression comes from? Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. That's it. Somebody looked and said, oh, that was nice. That's it. But Jesus says, when you give, and you serve others and provide for the needs of others, my friends. Do it secretly. Look at verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. The principle of practicing righteousness, my friends, is doing it in secret. <laughs> Not for the applause of men, but for the honor and love of God. Well, then we move to illustration two here in verse five. And the subject is prayer. Prayer is a difficult subject. Well, everybody here prays. Ask him to lead. So, oh, I don't know the right words. Well, what are you doing at home? You ought to be practicing, my friends. Is there something wrong with the prayers you're praying at home that you're unwilling to pray them in public? 
I'll tell you, I, I, what you're avoiding is what you ought to avoid altogether. It's somehow impressing the people around you when the only audience that matters is God. And so here Jesus first offers us some prayers that God rejects. Look at here in verse 5, and these are boasting prayers. And when you pray, you must not let, be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. There's that word again. In secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, friends, we don't pray for the reward. We pray to honor God. The resources that we ask for on our list are to enable us to do what it is he's called us to do. To have the influence he's called us to have. To keep us from the places he would have us to Places of sin. And so first, there are boasting prayers. Everybody listen to me. And then we come to verse 7. And Jesus talks about babbling prayers. Look at that. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. And do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. A church for me as a little kid was a lot like jumping in the car and, and instantly asking questions. What does this word mean? I don't know, where'd you hear that? That guy was praying. Well, I don't know what it means. We can look it up when we get home. And there was just this vocabulary, you know, like... Uh, Put a hedge about us. Something about shrubbery was needed around people, you know? Uh, I mean, just this, this lingo that ended up in everybody's prayer because some cool person prayed that way or something. And they were empty words. They're not words from the heart. Friends, prayer is not poetry. Did you know that? Prayer is not meant to be pretty and to be listened to and adored. Prayer is to reach the heart of God. Jesus says, don't boast in your prayers and don't babble in your prayers. You see, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you have need before you ask him. God already knows your needs. What does he want? The list? He wants your heart. That's the purpose of prayer. And by the way, it's an awfully good metric of, of the condition of your heart is the time that you spend in prayer. Finding ourselves in the world Don't be like them, my friends, for your father already knows what you need before you ask. 
pray. And then Jesus lays out prayers that God receives. And you're not going to believe this. <laughs> Look at verse 6. Here's that word again. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's the word for today, friends? Say it loud. You practice your righteousness. You do it in secret. Where only God can see. From the heart. From the heart. And look at here in verse 9. And Jesus lays out here for us a model prayer. Jesus does not give us this prayer that we might rotely recite it. He has already talked about babbling, just saying words. My friends, prayer is not some incantation. And if you do it right, you'll get whatever you want from God. It's not how it works, friends. This is a relationship. And you'll notice that this prayer begins with our Father. Not our God who is distant and far away and unknowable. Our Father. And so it is a primer for prayer. You want to learn about prayer? Follow this outline. Look at the things that Jesus says we ought to be praying about. And so in verse 9 we see Jesus says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Honored. The pray in a way that honors God's reputation. <coughs> How do we honor God in our prayer? And we do it secretly. And we do it sincerely. And then Jesus says in verse 10, Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there is the goal for our living right here, right now, every day, that God's will is done in our life in the same way it's done in heaven. And how is it done in heaven? Perfectly. Perfectly. That is the goal. And it ought to be the goal for everyday living that I discover the will of God and that I live it out just like it's done in heaven. And so we pray in a way that honors God's reputation, his name, hallowed be your name. And we pray to promote the plan of God that his will is done in our lives just like in heaven. And then we pray to seek God's provision because we have great needs. Fortunately, God has great grace. And here in verse 11, Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread. You will notice that Jesus says bread, not cake. Cake, eat away, friends. But when we go to God, we are going to him to provide what is needed for the day. Now the word uh, 
daily here is an unusual word in the Greek in that it doesn't appear. I mean, it appears once right here in, in, uh, in Matthew's gospel in the New Testament. And so for the longest time, people didn't really fully grasp the whole meaning of this word until they found this word in, in an archaeological dig in this context. It was a grocery list, and it was enough for today. I need enough of this to last for the day. The, the Greek word is epiousios. And it really shapes the context of our prayer. God, enough for today, this Sunday morning, this Sunday afternoon. God, provide what is needed in my life in order that I might honor your name and live out your will and practice righteousness in a way that honors you and does not seek the applause of others. In verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Hmm, look at that. Apparently Jesus makes much here about the forgiveness of sin. And after all, that was his mission, wasn't it? They didn't come to show us how to live. They didn't die to show us how to die, my friends. He died on the cross for our sin, that we might be reconciled to God. That we might be forgiven and made right. And so forgive us our debts. This is the habit of the righteous, my friend. Quick to confess our sin. Confess it to others and to confess it to God. In studying this, my heart was just drawn back to the story of Joseph. And uh, perhaps uh, you want to spend some time this afternoon, Genesis chapter 37 till the end, my friends. The story of Joseph is a phenomenal one to me. It challenges me. Because here is this legitimately good guy. And he's got these brothers who hate him for it. Reminds me of these Pharisees of Jesus. And people have tried to make money. Now, but surely there was some reason, you know, maybe maybe put sand in their underpants when they, I, you know, I don't know. But he was a good guy. And so much so that his father really appreciated this guy and favored him. Now, I get that, you know, that uh, they should have been maybe a little angry with dad. Don't show favoritism. And they were watching over the sheep, and his father sent him to go and see how they were doing. And they saw him coming from a distance around that bush over there. They said, let's just kill this guy. Ding, 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 ding. Hey, when you say let's go kill this guy, some bells should go off. Hey, maybe something's not right in my heart. Unfortunately, he had a brother and said, nah, let's not do that. Um, well, let's make some money off this guy and sell him as a slave. 
And they literally did that. I mean, here you are trying to do the best you could do and be a good and righteous person before God. And the people around you want you dead. And so off he goes, these Midianites buy him, and they sell him to a guy named Potiphar. And he's a prison guard. And you know what Joseph does? He sits around and grumbles all day about it. I mean, he is just stomping. No. You've read the Bible. He doesn't do that at all. You know what? He is faithful where he is. And he serves He's not grumbling and complaining and saying, hey, God, stop it. This is faithful. Because you know what? Wherever he is, he knows that God has put him there for a reason. Let that ring in your ear. He comes across a couple of guys, a butler and a baker. And they have dreams. And Joseph says, you know, who's the, uh, the interpreter of dreams but God? Let me know what they were and I'll, tell, I'll see if I can help. And so he hears the dreams and he tells them the, uh, the meaning. And for one, it means freedom. And the other, it means you're going to get hung. And one is hung and one is returned. And uh, crazy. Joseph just says, just remember me when you go back. Because I, I don't belong here, and maybe you could tell somebody anymore. And you may recall, they're serving the king, and the king has a dream. Like, hey, wait a minute, that sounds like a familiar story, as we are off to do. <laughs> hey, that's an interesting story, let me tell you mine. <laughs> And so Joseph hears the Pharaoh's dream and interprets it. There's something about famine, good years followed by famine, and it's going to be really bad, and you should really take good care of the stuff you've got now because you don't know what's coming. It's more details, I recommend. And, and the, the Pharaoh says to him, who is more wise than you? I mean, that you can tell me this. And he puts him in charge of everyone. You will be in charge of everyone over everyone but me. And Joseph goes through the back door so that God can preserve his family. And it's a great story about how God works. Well, eventually that famine comes, and here comes his family. I know what you're thinking. Man, what an opportunity to get back. And it's not even a thought of his. He's thrilled to see his brothers and his father. And he forgives them. And you know what his reasoning is? God did, you didn't put me here. 
God did. God provided a way to save you during his family. Different perspective, my friend. But God cares about things. We ought to be people with clean slates, my friend. Confess it to God. Confess to others. Make it right. And look at here at verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this is a, an unusual phrase, the way this is put together. As if God would lead them into temptation. Now you and I both know temptation is on the inside. It's not out there. Well, you could bring out this pumpkin pie and all the, what do you put out of that white stuff? Anybody help? Some kind of cream, whipped cream, yes. And you go, ooh, can't wait to get my, eh, I don't care. See, that's what's within me. What's that? Melody is crazy about chocolate. I'm crazy about Melody, you know? I mean, it's, it's about what's in us, you know? So this temptation, deliver us from evil. Pray for God's protection. God, when I am tempted, take away the opportunity. When the opportunity is there, take away the temptation. Deliver us from evil. And then Jesus adds a little something here. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's a big one right there. Hey, don't miss this. If you are unwilling to forgive you're going to find iron at the gates of heaven when you go to plead. Oh, God, forgive me. God's only concern is you go forgive them first. You don't understand forgiveness if you are unwilling to forgive. Psalm chapter 66 at verse 18 says this. If I regard or harbored iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Don't forget that principle. If there is sin in your life, you know it's there. And your whole strategy is to try and forget about it. Your prayer life is done, my friend. If you harbor sin in your life, the Lord will not <laughs> hear you. Because the only prayer he's looking for is, Father, forgive me. Well, at this point, you're getting the idea. But just to drive it home, Jesus gives us one more illustration in verse 16. <laughs> and this is in regard to fasting. This one almost seems superfluous. See, it's extra. We get it now, Jesus. But take a look here. When you fast, and we could just pause right there and say, hey, when's the last time you fasted? just between you and the Lord. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the other hypocrites. 
And we'll set Democrats. And I didn't mean that. I, no, stop. Hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And there is that principle yet one more time. Look at me. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, apparently the expectation is that fasting will be somewhere on the menu, friends. That's one of those spiritual disciplines that brings about spiritual maturity. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So hear me, friends, when I say this, that those who seek the praise of man over the praise of God lose their reward. You've wasted your time. Seek the honor of God from a heart of love. Let's look at some application here. Remember I introduced SPEC, S-P-E-C-K. A good way after studying a passage to just review. S stands for sin to confess. Are there sins to confess in the passage that we've just looked at? Well, my friends, if you have sought the praise of man over the praise of God, you have sinned to confess. Promise to claim. God rewards those who serve him from his heart, or from your heart sincerely. And practices righteousness from there. God rewards those who live in such a way. Is there an example to follow? Well, there's some bad examples to avoid here. Seeking the praise of man is the first step outside of honoring God. See, and he commands to follow. Practice your righteousness in secret humility. And finally, knowledge about God. He wants to be the motivation of your heart. Not just your lips or your feet or your hands, my friend, but from the heart. So let me ask you this. Can you keep a secret? Can you keep it secret and honor God? 